morning we're going to look at four things that the Scripture teaches us about standing firm. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are, and then we're going to come back and look at them. We're going to talk about standing firm on the gospel. Standing firm on the promises of God. Stand in awe of God and understand that you are in a war. Like four legs of a stool. You've kind of been wondering what I've been doing with this stool, haven't you? Like four legs of a stool that these four points will help you to understand how to stand firm in the midst of a battle. So let's get to it. Now you're going to want to write some of this stuff down because it's good stuff, all right? (laughs) You got a whole page there on the back of your worship folder to write some of this stuff down. Point number one, stand firm on the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 2 says this. Paul is talking to the church, to the church, When he says this, and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Note this. The gospel... That Paul is talking about. And that he goes on to explain in the next verses in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel is for believers as much as it is for unbelievers. We need to stand firm on the gospel. Most of us need to rediscover the gospel every day. Why? Because our need for God's grace and mercy never goes away. And our hearts are prone to foolishly wander. My heart is prone to foolishly wander away from God. I need to rediscover the gospel every day. But gospel recovery or gospel rediscovery only happens when we feel the weight of of our sins, the weakness of our flesh, and the frailty of our faith. This means that only those who know themselves to be unworthy sinners and know God's word to be true will find the gospel to be not only good news, but great news for their own souls. Refreshing news that imbues them with life. Say this another way. We're told by the world, and we're told by psychology, and we're told by self-help speakers that in order to be successful, we need to just we need to have more self-esteem. We need to esteem ourselves more. Now I'm going to cuss, so I want you to be ready for it, okay? Because to that, I say pooey. <laughs> No, an emphatic no. We do not need to esteem ourselves more. We need to esteem God more. We need to esteem His Word more. And we need to esteem what His Word says about us. We already think 
more highly than ourselves than we ought to. We need to esteem God the way that he deserves to be esteemed. Let's look again at the words of the song that we just sang a few minutes ago. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. You hear what you hear what he's singing there? We are wretches. We are sinners who betrayed the God who created us in his image for his glory. We are deserving of his wrath. And yet, and yet, God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. My friends, that is the gospel. We need to stand firm on the gospel. Second verse, how great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Have you ever considered how great the pain of searing loss was to the father? I want you to picture, if you have children, I want you to picture your child hanging on the cross. Picture your child having nails being hammered into his wrists and into his feet. Picture your child struggling for every single breath. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his, my sin upon his shoulders, your sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Is there any shame at all in our sin? Do you ever feel any sense of shame when you turn away from the living God? Is there any sense of shame at all? Or, or is it just this sense, that, oh, God will forgive me. That's what he does. He loves me. I'm his child. He'll forgive me. No big deal. Is there any sense of shame for our sin? It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have been my ransom. I almost want to sing that song again. You know, I almost want to just sing it again. We need to stand firm on the gospel. We need to think about 
the gospel. We need to ponder it. We need to rejoice in it every day because standing firm on the gospel just may very well keep you from falling away. Stand firm on the gospel. Second point is this. Stand firm on the promises of God. Write this down. This is good stuff. Stand firm on the promises of God. Exodus chapter 14 verse 13 says this, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which He will work for you today. Let me give you a little context. The exodus from Egypt has just taken place. The ten plagues have just been finished. The inaugural Passover has just been celebrated And God gives his people this promise in Exodus chapter 13. And he says, today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebudites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. He gives them a promise which the people of God are to stand firm on. And he tells them that if they will stand firm on this promise, then they will experience the plans and the purposes of God. Standing on the promise of God. Reminds me of a song. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I shall not fall. Standing firm on the promises of God. It will keep you from falling. What are some of the promises of God that we need to hang on to? Here's some verses that you know, but you need to remember all over again because they are great promises of God. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You resist, he will flee. Isaiah chapter 40. But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is that not a great promise that we need to stand firm on almost daily? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. That is an awesome promise. Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, I need that promise. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And here's the promise. He will make your paths straight. John chapter 15, verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The promise is that we will be fruit bearers. We will exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control when we abide in Him. It is a promise from God that you can take to the bank. We need to stand firm on the promises of God. Do you know who said this? Who said this statement? The future is as bright as the promises of God. All right, so our former pastor, he preached last week. I call him PD. You know him as Pastor Don. He used to say that all the time. The future is as bright as the promises of God. But you know what? He's not the one who originally said it. The guy who originally said it also said this. See if you know who said this. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. You've heard that too, haven't you? Do you know who said both of those? A guy by the name of William Carey. He is known as the father of modern missions. His whole life was based on a promise that God would do great things in and through those who... Fear Him and live by faith, expecting God to keep His promises. Stand on the promises of God. But you know what? If you're going to stand on the promises of God, you have got to know the promises of God. Which is why... Which is why we encourage you often to take up the Word of God and to read the Word of God and to ponder the Word of God because it is full of the promises of God. Memorize the promises of God. Those verses that that I hope you wrote down the address for that I just went through, Awesome verses to memorize because you need them and I need them if we're going to stand on the promises of God. Point number three stand in awe of God, stand on the gospel firmly. Stand firmly on the promises of God. Stand in awe of God. Psalm chapter 33 verse 8 says this, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Paul Tripp says this. He said, What should stun us doesn't stun us anymore. 
What should leave us in silent, amazed worship has become so familiar it barely gets our attention amongst the clutter of all the other things that command our attention. We don't notice the glory displayed all around us that points us to the one glory that is truly glorious, the glory of God. We have lost our sense of an awe of God. We do not stand in awe of Him. And awe of God has been replaced. It's been replaced by an awe of self. It's been replaced by an awe of stuff. Man, look at my stuff. This is awesome stuff that I have. It's been replaced by an awe of sex. It's been replaced by an awe of sports. It's been replaced by an awe of celebrities. We have misplaced our sense of awe. And misplaced awe keeps us perennially dissatisfied. How do we get it back? How do we get back a sense of awe? I'm going to mention a couple of things real quick. Number one, just look around. Just look around. In Job chapter 37 verse 14, Job is exhorted to stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. I'll give you a couple of interesting little factoids. Did you know that over 200 billion cells are produced by the average adult body every single day? 200 billion. You literally are not the same person that you were yesterday. That is awesome. That is awesome. Did you know that the earth is spinning at a rate of a thousand miles per hour right now and we can't even feel it? Did you know that it is estimated that there are over 100 billion stars in our galaxy? And it's estimated that there are over 200 billion galaxies. That's awesome. Did you know that one inch of rain falling on one acre of land, an acre is about three-fourths the size of a football field, one inch of rain... Falling on one acre of land is equal to about 27,000 gallons. And it weighs about 113 tons. That's 226,000 pounds. And you know where it came from? It came from a cloud that you can stick your hand through. That a plane can fly through. That's awesome. That is awesome. You want to 
You want to find a sense of awe again? Just look around at, at this wondrous world that God has created. Secondly, pray. Psalm 119 verse 18 says this, Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. Just pray and ask God again to fill you with a sense of awe. And while you're praying, confess. Confess the offense of your boredom with God. We're bored with God, aren't we? We need to confess our boredom with God. Just look around. Pray. Thirdly, this one's going to surprise you a little bit. This is a verse. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, tell you the point first. Just devote yourself to the community of God. Devote yourself to the community of God. I'm going to show you a verse in Scripture that you have seen, but you have never seen before. All right? Acts chapter 2. This is New Testament. This isn't some obscure verse in the Old Testament. Acts chapter 2 says this, And they, the early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. You've never seen that before, have you? Awe came upon every soul when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There is something about coming together with the community of God, coming to church, communion with other believers, rehearsing the gospel, praying together, sharing the Lord's Supper together, looking out for one another's needs that that leaves believers, or at least ought to leave believers, with a sense of awe of who God is. But we need to devote ourselves to the community of God. You don't just walk into church on Sunday morning, pat yourself on the back and say, okay, I've done my religious duty for the week and I'm good with God. You're never going to experience the awe of God like that. Devote yourself to the community of God. And then fourthly, get to know Jesus. Now, Now that just sounds a little bit cliche, I know. But get to know Jesus. Jesus had just finished healing the paralytic who had been lowered down through the roof. And the scripture says this, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, We have never seen anything like this today. They were filled with awe. You read through the book of Mark. You read through the book of Mark. Austin is taking students through the book of Mark right now on Wednesday nights. And they've been doing that for, I don't know, four months or so. Over 
And over again, as you go through the book of Mark, you see these words, and the people were amazed, and the people were astonished, and the people were in awe of what Jesus did. You want to reclaim a sense of awe? Get to know Jesus. Read the Gospels again for the first time. A man named G.K. Chesterton got it right when he said, This world will never starve through lack of wonders. Only through lack of wonder. Only through lack of wonder. Standing in awe of God. Who He is and what He has done will help us to stand firm in the faith. Stand on the gospel. Stand on the promises of God. Stand in awe of God. And then fourthly, understand that we are in a war. All right, let's go back to where we started. Let's go back to the battle, the first battle of Bull Run. Here's a few interesting facts for you. Have you ever heard of the rebel yell, I can't even do it. I was going to... In my mind, I had, I had myself doing this great yeb, rebel yell. And uh, it was going to pierce your... I can't even do it. My throat is gone. Ever heard of the rebel yell? Okay, long before it was a song by Billy Idol, for some of you who are, have been around that long, long before it was a Kentucky bourbon whiskey, it was a war cry. On July 21st, 1861, Battle of Bull Run, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, both sides had an equal number of men on the field of battle, about 18,000 each. And General Beauregard of the South ordered a counterattack along the entire line, screaming as they advanced the rebel yell that would become infamous among Union troops. The rebel yell, the Confederates managed to break the Union line. And the Union army retreated chaotically across Bull Run. And do you know what they ran into? As the Union army was trying desperately to retreat. Do you know what they ran into? They ran headlong into hundreds of Washington civilians who had been watching the battle while picnicking on the fields east of the river, who were now also making their own hasty retreat as the southern army with the rebel yell was fast approaching. Can you just picture the scene? These picnickers watching the Union army and the rebels going at it, killing each other because they'd never seen anything like it before. It's it's almost funny, but it's very telling. It's very 
telling. Because in a lot of ways, that's what the church is like today. We're just sort of nonchalantly having a great afternoon picnic. All the while, there is a battle going on that we are just kind of clueless about how bad this battle really is and how quickly it is getting ready to engulf us. Understand that we are in a battle for our very lives. Here's another little fact you might find interesting. Among the future leaders on both sides who fought at first Manassas was most famously a man by the name of Thomas J. Jackson. Anybody know his nickname? Stonewall Jackson. He earned that nickname at the Battle of Bull Run. That's where he got the nickname. General Barnard B., who was later killed in that same battle, he told his men to take heart and to look at Jackson, who in the midst of the fierceness of battle was standing there like a stone wall. And he became known as Stonewall Jackson. My friends, never forget that we are in a battle. Never forget that your life is in danger. I don't want you to be a casualty of war. Stand firm. And like Stonewall Jackson, your standing firm just might be what someone else needs to see if they are going to fight courageously their own battle. Stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm on the promises of God. Stand in awe of God and understand that you are in a war. Like the four legs of this stool. Remember those four points. You need all four of them. Because what happens if I were to take this? What do you, Robert, what do you call this kind of saw? A bow saw. So I found this back in a closet here today. I know it's probably not the best saw to use to chop off a leg. And I'm not going to chop off a leg. But if I were to chop off a leg... This stool would be just a little more unsteady, wouldn't it? And what if I were to chop off two of the legs? You think I'd be able to sit on that? That stool would not be standing very firm, would it? Stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm on the promises of God. Stand in awe of God and understand that you are in a war. Do that intentionally. Or you will be in danger of being a casualty of war. Father, we do acknowledge your greatness. And our prayer is that you would enable us by your spirit just to be able to catch a little more glimpse 
of how awesome a God that you are and that you would begin a work in our lives teaching us to stand firm as we stand on the gospel, as we stand on your promises, as we stand in awe of you, understanding that we are indeed in a battle. But thank you for being a God that is so great and glorious and worthy of our praise. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.